Well, welcome to our eighth episode of the Genuine Mississippi Podcast. We're calling this Leaders in the Field. And wow, do we have some leaders in the field on our show today. I'm your host, Mississippi's Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce, Andy Gibson. Here on Genuine Mississippi, we delve into the very best of everything. Genuinely grown, raised, crafted, and made right here in Mississippi. And today we're focusing on our Genuine Mississippi Made category with three very unique genuine Mississippi producers who live uh, right here and work every day to bring Mississippi to the leading edge of technology. From all-natural plant-based bioremediation and erosion control products to custom-manufactured agriculture equipment to molecular container systems for palletized cargo, we are genuinely blessed to have these manufacturers, these producers in our state. And each one of them has taken their real-life experiences and given back by bettering their profession through creating a better product for the generations to come. In the studio, we have with us Brent Brazier of Kengrove in Charleston, Mississippi. Welcome, Brent. Thank you. Matthew Summers of Speedbox of Ridgeland. Welcome. Thank you. And Dennis Short of Shortline Manufacturing in Shaw. Welcome. Thank you. We want to uh, thank you for taking some time to join us here live in the studio and uh, it's a pleasure to have each one of you, Brent, Matthew, and Dennis. As we get started, uh, let's talk briefly about what it's like for each one of you to be bringing genuine Mississippi-made products to the world. Uh, why don't we start, uh, let's start with you, Dennis, and I, the reason I say that is um, you were there uh, when we first launched this program just over a year ago as one of our first four genuine Mississippi members, Short Line Manufacturing. In fact, you cut a video for us, and we want to thank you for that. So what's it like to be genuine Mississippi? What does it mean to you as a, a person and a business? Well, <clears throat> the main thing is is just like the company, uh, our company is just the pride. Mm-hmm. It's taking pride in our product and being a, a pride being from Mississippi and a product of Mississippi, being raised in mississippi yeah and all experience from mississippi yeah so it just it comes back to the word pride for me yeah because uh, you know you look around not everybody in this country uh, has a lot of great things to say about mississippi most mm-hmm. of those people have never been here so we have a lot to be proud of and we take this program to that to that opportunity to tell folks who we are what we do and we are proud to be mississippians we are we're not going to back down from that what about uh, what about you, uh, Matthew? Why don't you kick us off? What does it mean to be genuine Mississippi? Uh, it's pretty fantastic, actually. You know, we make a rotationally molded plastic part. Don't want to over uh, complicate how hard uh, or how complicated our product is, but it, it's a product that you would expect to come from somewhere like China mm-hmm. or Mexico because it's, it's not that complicated to make. There's a lot of great intellectual property behind it. But when you're talking to somebody at a trade show, when you're talking to our military customers, when you're talking to our commercial customers, and they're saying, hey, this is great, you know, where do you make this product? We say, hey, it's made right here in Mississippi. And you're like, how can you be competitive? (laughs) How can you be competitive with these other folks who really specialize in polymer manufacturing? And it's like, well, you know, we have a low cost of doing business here in Mississippi. We have a really high quality workforce, and it's just where we want to be. So it feels pretty good to be genuine Mississippi. That's awesome. Well, let's get to you, Brent, and Kengro. Uh, let's talk about Kengro. I bet a lot of our listeners have never heard of Kengro. Uh, first, what does it mean to be genuine Mississippi? And then I want to hear more about your company. 
Well, it uh, goes back to, you know, traveling around the country and traveling around the world. And, and you know, Mississippi does uh, have this negative image going around the world. And then when you introduce a, a, a new product mm-hmm. that is the only one in the world uh, <laughs> that created and born right here in Mississippi, it, it uh, really, you know, just makes you proud that you can go out and, and, and show people that uh, – you know, we can get it done, and we do get it done in Mississippi. So That's great. Well, we're proud of each one of you and, and getting it done. And I tell folks around the world as I travel, we, we build things in Mississippi. We still do that, and we're proud of it, and we do it better than anybody. Just give us a chance. So, Brent, back to you and Kengrow. Uh, tell us about Kengrow. What is, what is Kengrow, and what do you do? I know that uh, for a lot of our listeners, Kanaf may be a new thing, but the Brazier family – has been growing Kanaf, uh, which is the world's most absorbent natural fiber. You've been doing that since the 1980s in the Delta. How did you start? Uh, where where did you begin? Well, kind of like Dennis got started in the uh, the, the the business of, of building uh, equipment. It's it's about survival. So mm-hmm. you start, uh, you know, in the 80s, you start looking at uh, commodities and and and. The traditional uh, delivery routes of selling those commodities. It just kind of got to a point where, if we're going to stay in this game, we got to value add. We got to mm-hmm. figure out what we can do to value add. And so we started looking at uh, all different alternative crops. We've grown camelina, flaxseed, uh, rape, even toyed with the idea of bullfrogs. You <laughs> know, looking at all different opportunities to yeah. value add yeah. uh, some kind of commodity and. And so, it just so at the time, uh, Newsprint South was was being built there in Grenada, mm-hmm. and you know we saw an opportunity maybe to grow this crop called Canaf to provide them with the uh, craft pup, which uh, is, is add the strength value to to mm-hmm. Newsprint. Mm-hmm. That kind of got us started, uh, even though that didn't materialize in in Grenada. We did uh, you know end up selling to to paper companies yeah. uh, in the beginning, but. Canaf uh, is in the same family as cotton and okra. It uh, so it's 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 you know traditionally the temperatures and everything like that it, it likes and so we we uh, with the help of Congressman Witten uh, was able to secure some seed from the USDA seed bank mm. in, wow. in D.C. to to plant our first canaf crop because there was no seed uh, yeah. available. Yeah, and so we planted a ten by ten plot and you know evaluated it with Mississippi State and then the next year. Uh, partnered with Mississippi State and a pretty uh, deep, big uh, mm-hmm. research yeah. uh, uh, collaborative, and, and uh, I guess the, the rest is history. We It, it came to fruition to be a, a great alternative crop opportunity for us, and right. and we launched into it. So you're, you're growing a fiber crop, in essence. It's, uh, as, as I said, a very absorbent natural fiber, but it's related to cotton and okra. I guess I Correct. can see that. The, uh, the 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 fibers in those in those plants and uh, what do you what does what does one do with canaf <laughs> what do you so, use it for so we unlike cotton and okra we we are not after a fruit we are actually just after the vegetative fiber so mm-hmm. we're not we're not maturing it out to a seed or anything to harvest we are actually just going and, and getting the vegetative stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, yields usually around anywhere from four to seven tons per acre. Uh, so it's a lot of biomass there to 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 generate. Well, what we uh, identified early on that the, the value is 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 as like in cotton with separating the lint from the seed. Canaf is more valuable 
when you separate the inner part of the the core fiber and from the outer part bass fiber and so we built a separation facility there in charleston to separate those two fibers that would give us opportunities to value add uh, mm-hmm. that those you know those products so so what came out of that is as i originally said the paper market was our early days uh, pretty much our markets uh, we we so we just sold the outer part of the the uh, fiber to the paper markets and and the inner part we were just piling up and kept getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger mm-hmm. and with our collaborative with mississippi state of course they were researching opportunities uh, to, to to utilize this crop and they came up with uh bedding and 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 uh oil absorbent opportunities yeah. and and so all of a sudden that big pile of 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 core that we had that we didn't have a market for Hmm. was a waste product became our primary product wow that's amazing so we uh so but our main products uh, is uh today is 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 the oil absorbent products erosion and sediment control products horticultural products like basket plant liners that goes uh in this kind of thing and then uh the automotive industry is a huge uh sector for canaf but uh we do not really sell into the automotive Hmm. sector because it just it just we can make uh, more margins going yeah. in the other other sure. uh, arenas what's the use for an automotive just just cu- out of curiosity mainly car door the the your door panels your yeah. headliners your trunk liners yeah. and this kind of stuff yeah interesting well uh, I, I heard a story that you you began growing this canaf uh, after one of your uncles had visited thailand and learned about it tell us well he yeah that. so he he was actually he went uh worked for lanco mm-hmm. eli Lilly, and he went into to uh to thailand as their asian representative to sell treff land into that that mm-hmm. world and so yeah basically in 1968 or so he came back and telling my dad of course i was young then but telling my dad that, you know you y'all really need to look at this crop it's a mm-hmm. great crop and he, of course that just got shelved for you know basically yeah. 30 years <laughs> and and uh or 20 years and so then all of a sudden you know it's funny how it came back up but yeah so he he knew a lot about canaf he i actually uh uh jim forrest is my uncle and and, uh we uh so we you know we just uh kind of recycled back to to all the conversations that we had with him and and uh you know, yeah. Found the seed, Congressman Whitten, and have you get some seed, and there you go. There we there go, off and running. That's great. So, who are the uh, your your basic uh, industries that are going to be using Canaf that you sell? Uh, you talked a little bit about that. Yeah, and and so one of the other uh, arenas we we're in to uh, sell product into is is filtration industry. Of course, it's okay. getting bigger every year. Filtering activated carbon and this yeah. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, we uh so we we uh, waste treatment facilities whether it be lagoon treatments and uh-huh. this kind of stuff okay. uh, is another sector we we partner a lot of these things we partner with with uh, companies that are already in that field mm-hmm. i mean i'm not an engineer don't know anything right. about that that kind of business mm-hmm. but canaf has an affinity for a lot of these areas and so we uh it, you know, we just try to launch into all of them, but uh, filtration, uh, as I said, the oil absorbent products, the uh, erosion sediment control is kind of our primary products at the moment. Animal bedding used to be a, a large uh, volume for us, but uh, the national players have changed a good bit in, in the pet world, and so we, we're not as, as big in there as we used yeah. to be.
So can you use it like in the case of an oil spill? Uh, yeah, we, we do it every day. We clean up oil spills every day. That's okay. our primary yeah. uh, product. And one of the unique things about what it does is is uh, we we basically leave it in the field. We don't spray a chemical on it to kill it and hmm. then harvest it. We let Mother Nature kill it with freeze okay. and basically leave it in the field to like February. Well, in that meantime, a lot of indigenous microbes, you're getting colds and sniffles and through the winter or whatever, those yeah. same microbes are floating around and taking up host uh, in, in the canal plant. Okay. So it has a lot, large number of uh, indigenous microbes that like to consume hydrocarbon as really? a food source. So. Oh. We uh, that's a, that's a, that's Mississippi State discovered that far as uh, wow. as well, and we uh, you know it's kind of uh, uh, unique product. So you can take it and once you clean up the oil spill, you can just leave it in place, and the, and the microorganisms will will eat consume the the hydrocarbon. Yeah, it sounds like the research you did through Mississippi State they did for you really has been a key part of your success as a business. Well, as, as I always say, uh, you know, in, in different events at Mississippi State, and, you know, I mean, they are my research partner. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. uh, along with Jackson State as well, Jackson State is actually doing uh, a lot of filtration w- uh, research for us right now. Mm-hmm. With uh, We're working on selenium issues up in Canada, and so we're, we're modifying the fibers to, to, uh, to solve that problem, and it's being done right here at Jackson State. Wow, that's great. Well, I know you have a co-founder in your business, uh, Gabby, uh, who's played a big role in getting things off the ground and continuing to grow. Tell us about, uh, tell us about her role. Well, I guess, I, and we have co co-founders. I guess my yeah. father was also instrumental in, in okay. when we, when we launched this deal. So I, I want to make sure he's recognized. Well, his name, give us Ernest. His- Ernest, okay. But, uh, yeah, so we met, uh, my wife and I met at a cotton meeting uh, at Startville. Even though she went to Mississippi State at the same time I was there, we did not meet on campus, and she okay. said it's a good thing because she probably wouldn't have liked me too much if, if she <laughs> yeah. would know me back during right. during uh, college days. But we met at a cotton meeting briefly and then just kind of went from there. And, and then uh, her dad was, she's Swiss, and, and he had, uh, bought some farmland here in in the state and was farming it and and so we kind of you know started dating and uh, became a team so we just celebrated uh sunday night our 29th wedding anniversary wow. so we we've been working together congratulations as as uh you know people call the office all the time and 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 uh want to speak with the the owner and, mm-hmm. and i said well uh well, they're not here. And he said, well, what's your relationship to to the owner? And I said, well, I sleep with her. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so uh, that kind of throws them a little curveball. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, no, we we do everything together. We so we farm together. We farm independent. We we, yeah. uh, we she's a partner in Ken Grow as well as some you know other business that that, that we've done together. And yeah. it's uh, she's she's the team player. And as uh, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the website or not but uh we basically call her our realist so even though she's a farmer which means she does gamble mm-hmm. she uh she does uh she she does kind of bring us down back down to reality when we kind of gets outside the box sometimes so we call her the realist so that's good give us your website there it's www.kengrow.com yeah go check them out 
Well, uh, so you mentioned leaving this in the field through the winter. When you typically harvest in a, in so a normal we, year? So we harvest in, in February, but this year it was like the all the way into the second week of, of April because right. of, of the rain. Rain, yeah. And uh, so that you know kind of causes problems for everything else, but it just even though we couldn't plant till June anyway because yeah. it kept on raining after we finally got the canaf out, it started back raining. And yeah, but that's typically when when we harvest is mm-hmm. in in uh, in February. Um, does that rain have any deteriorative effect in the in the in the crop? Does it make it uh, waste away quicker, or, or is it well? Immune to that? And, and actually, it's a it's a plus. So what Good. what's happening is hmm. we're we're biological retting the fiber. So you can chemical ret the fiber, or you can biological ret the fiber. So what we're doing is just basically letting Mother Nature do what other places maybe use chemicals to do so it's a good thing but it it can't but it can you know april is getting it can have a negative effect on the fiber when it starts staying too long in the field so you got it out just in time that's hopefully yeah it's good well uh you were one of our first members of genuine mississippi and i want to ask you what the experience has been for you and for your business and what do you think about this program to to brand our products here in mississippi well i i uh you know i think anytime you can take a program uh whether you know be a cotton incorporated type program you know it's always uh good to be able to 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 tag things to it and genuine mississippi uh is is i guess the predecessor was made in mississippi Mm -hmm. and so we were also on on that ship as well and it uh so what it does it's just another way of standing out and letting people know and one of the things that uh, you know, I, I, of course, I'm I'm part of the Bio Preferred program with USDA too, and and uh, you know that's one one thing. It would be nice to see maybe some of our state agencies recognize that you know in purchasing or whatever yeah. that uh, sure. maybe the genuine Mississippi type products maybe have a little bit of uh, points built in that that, that would uh, generate uh, opportunity in the state because right now, unfortunately, we only do about less than one percent business in the state of mississippi so it's all done out of state and and uh but far as it's it's nice to see the genuine mississippi uh message being abroad whether it be in uh, malaysia or or wherever you may be chad or wherever so well that's good we definitely need to encourage our sister agencies to to buy local when we can and uh, we'll do that well, is there anything else you'd like to add about Kengrow or about your business or anything upcoming you want to share with our listeners? Well, we uh, we're we're looking forward to having 2019 behind us yes. because it's been a been a rough year. Been a rough year. We uh, we've normally, I guess, since the Roundup era started, uh, Roundup Ready crops came in existence. Canaf does not have that technology mm. in it, and so I, I really kind of. Uh, started planting about three weeks later than cotton uh usually i used to plant about the 10th of may now i plant about the first week of june well this year because of all the rain cotton was being planted the first week of june so was beans being planted so i had a a little bit of a tough time with chemical drift this year and and uh so it it uh you know i'm ready to get it behind us and and, uh be move on but yeah one of the things that uh, i think 
uh, I mentioned the sediment erosion control world. We're we're we launched a new product uh, in February of last year. So it's a silt fence that actually has a filtering uh, blanket in, inside of it that has the ability to remove contaminants on mm-hmm. like work work sites or whatever. And so we're excited about that. We're doing you know, work with the Corps of Engineers. Uh, uh, trying to explore some of those opportunities where they're having problems and uh, the Department of Defense and those those things. So we've, we feel real good about the direction where it's going. We partnered with a couple of other companies and, and have a patent, and uh, so we're, we're, we think it's going to be a good market for us and, right. and uh, looking forward to it. So that's, that's, that's kind of the latest, greatest of what we got going. Well, that is exciting. Well, I want to thank you for uh, being a part. Where would somebody go uh, uh, other than your website at kengro.com, K-E-N-G-R-O? They can go to our website at Genuine Mississippi at GenuineMS.com. Check your profile out and uh, and see if uh, your products are a fit for them. Thank you for, for Thanks being for here. having me, and thanks for your, your willingness to step up and take over uh, – this position you're doing a great job uh you're visible around the state a lot of good things uh, uh you know it's good when you hear all positive things and, yeah. and that's what i hear on you so we're glad thank to have you as our commissioner and thank you i'm enjoying it <laughs> i'm really having a good time thank you brent and uh you know we've already we've been focusing on leaders in the field here today and we're fortunate also in addition to brent to have a uh, matthew summers of Speedbox now uh, Matthew, you alluded a little bit to your unique technology that uh, not many people would expect to be made right here in, in, in right. Mississippi. But uh, you've got a, you're also a highly decorated Army Special Forces soldier, and I want to thank you for your service to our country and to our state and for uh, putting your life on the line for us to keep us free. Thank you for that. You're quite welcome. Greatest job in the world. I can't believe they pay me to do it. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, where were you stationed at? Uh, kind of all over. You know, when I joined, uh, I went to basic and airborne school in Fort Benning. I uh, went to Fort Bragg for about five years, and that was really the center of gravity for uh, my unit, which was 3rd Special Forces Group. Um, probably the greatest unit in the regiment I'm biased uh, <laughs> I did a couple of tours in Afghanistan okay. uh, did some really great work uh, that we're proud of in Eastern Europe um, we kind of bebopped all over like that yeah you're Green Beret Green Beret that's wow. right amazing yeah. welcome to genuine Mississippi oh, it's great to be here it's, it's an honor <laughs> yeah well um, am I correct to say that uh, one of your experiences in the military sort of inspired you to, to start your business at Speedbox yeah w- without a doubt um, kind of the background on that is uh, when when soldiers deploy, uh, so soldiers being specific to the Army, when we deploy, the Air Force is good enough to give us a ride, mm-hmm. us and our things. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Air Force, they'll give you before your deployment uh, part of their standardized logistics system. Mm-hmm. Okay, so essentially they give you a couple of pallets and a big box called an ISU-90. Mm-hmm. The pallet is called a 463L pallet. It's 108 inches by 88 inches. And the big box, ISU-90, it's 108 inches by 88 inches. And this is the common denominator across every cargo military airframe that we have, not just the United States, but in NATO. So all the airplanes, they're built around wow. the common denominator of this pallet and this box. I and never knew that. It, it, it's brilliant in the <laughs> simplicity. Um and so, so they would say, hey, here, for your team, you get two of these pallets, get one of these ISU-90 boxes. It's like a little shipping container. Put your stuff that you need to make war 
on these boxes, in these boxes, on these pallets, and we'll pick them up in a couple of days, put them on our airplanes. And so what we would do is we would go to like Lowe's or Home Depot and buy the Stanley uh, toolboxes, the big yeah. black boxes, yeah. or a Contigo Tough box or, or something like that. We would then take those boxes back to our team room and we're putting $100,000 radios, batteries, armor, breaching kits, tools, and all the things you need to conduct war in these boxes. And so it's pretty sensitive stuff and your life is going to depend on it. So you want to make sure it's well taken care of. And these boxes, they get to be pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. And so it's not atypical for one of these boxes to be two, 300 pounds. And you're allowed to build these pallets uh, 72 inches in the air. <laughs> and so what you end wow. up doing is playing a three-dimensional game of Tetris mm-hmm. with boxes that weigh, you know, two and 300 pounds yeah. with stuff your life depends on. Getting a pretty good workout. There. You're getting a pretty good workout, <laughs> right? Wow. And so uh, it's probably one of the main reasons Green Berets are pretty big boys because mm-hmm. from doing this – uh, this fire drill. And so it would end up taking us between three and four hours to build a single pallet. So we have one pallet, two pallet, and then an ISU-90. And you look at how much time that took and how much energy and it was emotionally exhausting to do it because it's the last thing in the world you want to do. It's the last thing in the world that you have to do before you deploy because you need all your stuff until the last minute. Then you pack it up and then it's gone until you get there. And so that's the time where like the soldiers need to be going over uh, the first concepts of operation, mm-hmm. what they're going to do when they get the ground, yeah. saying goodbye to mama, you sure. know, doing those sorts of things. But instead, you're you're literally like packing a pallet. It was terrible, and it was it was done in such a poor way. I felt that it was not representative of not just United States Army Special Forces Green Berets. Right, we're supposed to be better than just about everybody, yeah. but we didn't have a good solution. This the U.S. military shouldn't even be doing this. Yeah. Uh, and so I did this like one too many times and I'm thinking to myself, man, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be great? If we just had these containers that snapped the other like Legos so we didn't have to go through this anymore. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. wouldn't it be cool if these containers were just easy to move? So they had like big beefy wheels that could never go flat. And wouldn't it be cool? Oh my God. Yeah. If they didn't break. Wouldn't that be great? And so, uh, and so, I, you know, I, I would deploy and the box would break and we'd keep doing this. I'm like, this is just not a good way of doing things. There's got to be something better. And so mm-hmm. I looked around and I, the, we had money. And this is, you know, 05, 06, 07. This yeah. is, we had plenty of money. We could get whatever we wanted, but we didn't, the thing that we wanted didn't exist, right? No. And so my dad brought me up in such a way that, you know, if if there's, you have a solution to something you think could add value, go for it, right? And so I got out of the service. Uh, went to grad school and this even during grad school this idea couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't get out of my brain I was like yeah. what I gotta do something about this and so uh, I went to my wife and I said baby we don't have much money but you know I, th- I think we can make something got a, out of this got an idea here, I got an right? idea right and uh, and uh, she says no to a lot of things but she, <laughs> she, we had talked about it but we were talking about it in earnest now and, and we had talking about it in the past and she had seen the reaction from my teammates guys that were very close, work very close with, still are very close with. She saw the reaction to the idea. She understood the problem. She's watched me build a pallet before, uh-huh. right? Because, again, it's a day before you leave, right? She's like, go for it, baby. What do you want to do? And so we kind of laid out a critical path, and I had no background in manufacturing or industrial design or anything like that, but the Internet's a wonderful place. You can mm-hmm. learn a lot of things really fast. Uh, and so got busy drawing, designing, uh, hired a uh, an industrial designer to help kind of professionalize it. And then uh, took my drawings to different tool makers and manufacturers and 
have an idea i'm an inventor and like rule number one is if you really so guys write this down if you're an inventor you don't ever tell anyone you're an inventor because inventors (laughs) are crazy people right (laughs) so so, so i i was told no by a lot of contract manufacturers and tool makers kind of small potatoes and and i understand i completely understand where they were coming from Mm -hmm. but i found a a company up in uh, pennsylvania to take a shot on me and they were kind of like on the borderline and so I went up and, and I brought my checkbook and I was like, listen, what kind of check do I have to write to make you think I'm serious? Yeah. I didn't have a lot of right. horsepower behind that checkbook, but, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we negotiated him, Todd. I left the deposit and they said, we'll make your tool. So I made my tool. Um, it took uh, a long time, probably three, four months. Got it back wow. and they started running parts for me. And there was a logistical issue with me being here and them yeah. being there. Then there was just... Uh, uh, very, very. I was very, very small fish, and mm-hmm. they're a big manufacturer. Sure. There was a lot of bigger guys in front of me, um, and I, I didn't have the kind of horsepower again to say, "Hey, run one thousand of these units right. at that point, right?" And so they they would make a part, send it to me, of like, "No, I don't like this. We got to change that. These components." And sure. then be another month before they would run it again, and mm-hmm. just I, I wanted more feedback faster. Um, and there was a manufacturer here in Mississippi uh, that had told me no. And then I just got him. I called him back. I said, hey, will you please sit with me? Just let me tell you my story. Let me show you what I'm doing. And so I drove up to West Point, sat down with my now current manufacturer, uh, and great group of human beings, just just wonderful people. He listened to the story, and he's like, I get it. Tell him to pack up your tool, ship it to me. We're going to help you figure it out. And so that, that's been about two and a half years ago. Uh, they've been my part, my manufacturing partner since, and so we've been making – uh, Speedbox here in Mississippi, and uh, we're now on version three of Speedbox. That's amazing. So, walk us through. Uh, you, you're in the military. You're going to deploy. How do you use the Speedbox, and how's it how's it better than the old way you described? Sure. Um, so the old box. They don't fit on that pallet, so you can go like one pa- one box, two box, but not a third box, okay. right? It, it, long ways, or one, two, three, short ways, but on a fourth, and then that leaves holes in this pallet. And the Air Force, when they come and inspect the pallet, they won't let you have any holes in the pallet because they're mm-hmm. afraid the whole thing's gonna collapse on itself See. during flight, and that's called shift during flight and create an unnecessary risk for the air crew and the yeah. airframe and what have you. Got it. So you got to fill in all these holes with like. Whatever, sleeping bags, yeah, yeah, sleeping bags, duffel <laughs> yeah. bags, MREs, boxes. You know, you get kind of creative. Like by the time you leave your team room to go deploy, you're just out of stuff yeah. because all your like miscellaneous stuff is just in cracks and crevices. Yeah. It. Again, it's like not best practices. Mm-hmm. And so, like the beauty of a speed box is the size of it. We dimensioned it so that they just snap together on these pallets, mm-hmm. and we use 99.4 percent of the usable space on the pallet. We leave a little bit for you know uh, changes in the plastic. Um, because atmospheric conditions sure. kind of affect the tolerances when uh, you cook these things. So uh, we use up, you know, essentially all of the space on the pallet. And instead, instead of taking uh, three to four hours, two to four hours, you're done in 10 minutes. <laughs> you, the whole thing goes together in 10 minutes. And so when it's funny when you talk to folks at trade shows uh, and you're kind of explaining it. I got a big picture that shows this, this beautiful pallet of speed boxes kind of put together. It's on the front page of my webpage. And they walk up and their mouth is just kind of like open because they get it. And they're like, you, wait a minute, you, you just, it just fits? I'm like, no, it just fits. And like, wait, it, it just, 
it just fits on the palate. I'm like, yeah, man, it just fits on the palate. They're like, do you know how hard it is to pack a palate? I'm like, yes, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly Where can right. we get one of these? That's yeah. right. That's right. So what is your website? I'm looking at it right here, Speedbox. I, speedbox.us. Speedbox.us. Go yep. check it out. Um, and you make these to withstand a lot. I mean, these are, these are heavy duty. That, that's right. And so uh, the, the people using these – uh, are placed in some of the harsh conditions in the world, and I know that we've got to keep them and their equipment safe. So this is, I'm on a little bit of a personal mission here. Yeah, um, we cannot leave these people hanging dry by giving them uh, equipment that is broken, or mm-hmm. giving them containers that will enable broken equipment mm-hmm. or wet equipment or anything like that. So um, our latest version is called the Endurance 40. Uh, is airtight, waterproof. It floats. You could throw it off of the roof. It won't break. We use 10-inch solid rubber wheels so they can't go flat. My, my machining partner who makes all of our handles out of solid steel mm-hmm. is here in central Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I can't find better parts to put onto or into these boxes. Wow. And so there, I haven't found a better solution yet and if i do i will incorporate that into the next version of speedbox so um yeah, it's we're, called knaf <laughs> <laughs> well maybe, maybe we should get together after this <laughs> yeah we, we've actually had things like that happen at the, around this table that's amazing so, yeah so you've got that application your wife Lindsay's a veterinarian and is there an application for uh vets of a different kind you've developed so, so yeah, so everyone needs a box with wheels, right? Yeah, that, <laughs> so, yeah so, I can think of a, a lot of boxes on wheels I could use that's right. so, on the farm. So, so we're limited by nothing, but it, it's not atypical to see like our big our big guys called Voyager 70 in uh, barns being used as tack boxes or horse people. Yeah. You're familiar with horse oh, people, yeah. right? Yeah, you do tack boxes. Yeah. And so it's just it's an easy way to move a lot of gear that's real heavy. And like that's kind of one of our value propositions is, is that – we make it easier than anybody else to move heavy things. I wish it were more complicated. I wish I came up with a more sophisticated <laughs> product than that, but we're taking advantage of, you know, pretty ancient technology here, the lever and the wheel, but it, it works for us. Uh, perfect. Well, uh, well, tell me about what does it mean uh, for Speedbox to be genuine Mississippi? Do you, uh, I would imagine you're probably uh, marketing this to folks all around the country and maybe around the world. Uh you, you, do, you, do you put that brand on there? Are you proud to tell folks I'm genuine Mississippi? I am definitely proud to be genuine Mississippi. We do sell around the world. Some of my biggest customers are in Australia, believe it or not. We export a lot to uh, England. NATO is one of our uh, partners. Um, and we we sell to Tier 1 operators. These guys are the best of the best of the mm-hmm. best, right? And these are my customers. And I would not sell them something that, my name was on if I wasn't proud of it. Yeah. And I kind of talk, spoke about this a little bit at the beginning of the show. You know, when this is, a, it's a cool piece of technology, but in its simplest form, it's plastic box with wheels that was dimensioned, you know, it's to meet a certain need and to, and to pass certain tests. And there are a lot of other people that can do this, but when people hear that we're made in Mississippi, it's like, yeah. I'm so happy we're doing this in America, <laughs> right? And and yeah. it's like, and then there's just a ton of value again that we can give folks being here in Mississippi. So, yeah, it it, it feels great 
to manufacture here in Mississippi, I'm very proud of the fact it's one of the things that I lead with. And, and it, it, it puts people back and, and their eyes kind of light up like, oh, thank God it's made in America. Oh, thank God it's made in Mississippi. Right. Yeah. So people like that. They want to get behind that. Tremendous. Yeah. Thank you. Well, other than your website, we've talked about speedbox.us. Uh, folks can go to our website, genuineMS.com, check out your profile and uh, see uh, if it's a good fit for them, for their particular application i want to thank you again thank you for your service thank you for your invention necessity is the mother of invention and you're a great example of that thank you matthew we appreciate you you're very kind commissioner thanks for having me this is an honor and a pleasure and uh like the echo brand swears and you're doing a great job with your leadership and we're, we're starving for that so thank you keep it up thank you well uh enjoyed that visit with matthew and now we're going to go to one of our very first uh members here dennis short of short line manufacturing built for a farmer by a farmer the the original uh short line manufacturing as we continue talking about leadership in the field let's talk about your company what do you make at short line welcome dennis thank you glad to be here uh, <clears throat> well as matt said it's necessity but uh that's how i got into it and as far as what i do uh, we make a variety of uh, tillage tools, special, custom-made of uh, agriculture, and we also build a lot of uh, research equipment mm-hmm. for whether it be USDA in Mississippi State or yep. Dow, Monsanto, or whoever uh, that has uh, like weighing capabilities. Yep. But the biggest thing, what I like is, is you can come to me with an idea, and tell me if you can get it get it across to me what you want, you know we'll go for it. You build it, yeah, yeah. Because I mean we're small, and just like I said, we're I mean, we're basically really and truly mom and pop. Yeah, yeah, father and son. That's about it. You know what you remind me of? Uh, a modern day blacksmith. You know that's that's pretty good. Yeah. Then the old days, uh, folks would come in. Hey, I need this or that or this tool, and they just build it on the spot. That's what you're doing in 2019, and. Uh, we had the great privilege to send a team out to tour your place and to get some video uh, to promote Genuine Mississippi. I want to thank you about that. You're welcome. You said in that video that famous quote now, built for a farmer by a farmer. I did, and uh, the reason it, it's personal to me is, you know, most manufacturers, no matter what, what line they're in, they don't really listen to the customer. And, of course, having farmed, I understood farming. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't understand horses. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, but uh, whether the guys in California, Virginia, whatever they call, and they talk, and when they find out that you farm, the whole attitude changes. Yeah. They know you understand what's in the dirt, what it takes to do it. And then they're speaking the language that they're used to speaking because they know you understand yeah. it and you all connect. Well, that. I had a guy in – uh, uh George, mm-hmm. he called and he said, he said, Dennis, I want you to do this, this, and this. <laughs> and why don't you go buy it? He said, well, they don't make it. You know, and he said, I know you make this and this. And this. I said, yes, I do. He said, well, I want to incorporate it like that. And I said, well, let me think about it. So I just did a pencil sketch. I faxed it to him. He said, go ahead and build it, and I'll send a truck to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I said, okay, done deal. So next morning, about Quarter to seven or so, I hear something. It was a Saturday. I hear somebody out there at my shop, and I look out, and there's a car out there. 
I look out because I knew him. John's walking around the shop. He said, well, I couldn't sleep last night, so I went to, to Raleigh, uh, Durham, caught a plane, went into Memphis, hmm. rented a car. And he said, we're just going to get on the same page, even though I think we are. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah. He said, we're good. I'll go back. Well, he got out right before the ice storm hit. Oh, and wow. <laughs> you know, but so we guys call, and, and, and I like talking to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, like a lot of guys call and when we're real big into bowl buggies and, and our cotton vac. Mm-hmm. You know, they call, and I never would talk about the product. Yeah. I mean, what variety do you plant? Right. What picker are you running? Uh-huh. What about the labor? What about the weather? You what about the, the market? You know the question. And then they say, well, what about your product? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But so, it, it's uh, it's I, that's what I've enjoyed as much as anything, yeah. is having the background. But that's why the built-by-a-farmer, far farmer, yeah. I feel great. like I know the farmer. You that's know? awesome. Yeah. Well, how did you get started originally with short line manufacturing? You, there must have been some event or some need uh, that, that that arose. As Matthew said, the word necessity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, as I said, farming, I guess about around 1986 or so, uh, around this time of year, all of a sudden my cotton would just start kicking the fruit off the top. Mm-hmm. The top third of the plant wouldn't have anything on mm-hmm. it. And we couldn't figure out what it was. Well, I'm a soil agronomist. We got to talking, looking, and uh, he ran soil samples. Most of your soil samples, you know, they run zero to six inches. Well, we started checking six to 18 and found out we had a potash deficiency. And so he convinced me that we need to do something. Well, at that time, there's a research doctor down at Stoneville, and I'm not far from Dr. Gordon Tupper. Well, he had actually built a little two-row applicator, playing with it. And so he's telling me, of course, nobody else built it. It was all new. And so he's telling me, well, this, this, let me put a test plot. I said, I don't need a test plot. Mm-hmm. I said, I got, I, got, I got to have some results. Yeah. And so I said, I can't build that. And I'd go look at it, and I'd look at one piece. I said, well, I can build that. And I'd look at the next piece. I can build that. And then before you know it, I had it built, and I just had to assemble it. Yeah. Well, I built mine. Mm-hmm. So I ran everything. I left a check plot out. Mm-hmm. We went and picked it. Of course, having the gin and the scales, I could capability of weighing. As I went in, of course, everything was on trailers then. And uh, went in. It was about a hundred pounds difference in the yield. I said, mm-hmm. "Well, I said I can, I can fool with it yeah. for a hundred pounds." Sure. You know, and of course, the cotton kept everything. Well, next thing I know, my neighbor had the same problem. Well, bill me one. Well, mm-hmm. this guy had a problem. <laughs> this guy had a problem. And the worst, the worst area is around. Uh, where the delta meets the hills, mm-hmm. going around, it's yeah. just a type of soil. Right. But anyway, they uh, out of out of necessity. That's how I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even like I mentioned a while ago, the little cotton vac I designed. It was uh, of course now it's kind of obsolete because you got the big round bale pickers. Mm-hmm. But uh, an easy explanation. It's just a giant vacuum cleaner. But when I designed it, I designed it to run off the hydraulics on the tractor. Tractor. That way, it ain't the crank ropes broke. Yeah, it won't crank, won't what, or whatever. And then the the beauty of it was, with the hydraulics, you can control your oil flow. Yeah, controlling the oil flow, you control the air because it's the speed of the motor. So we had a big long hose, pick it up. And so the guys asked me, said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm either going to have something, or I'm going to have a big piece of scrap iron." <laughs> yeah, one or the other. Yeah, one or the other. So we we took it to the field the first day. And my neighbor, who was one of Daddy's best friends, he came down there and 
He said, what are you going to do, Dennis? I told the guy on the tractor who was on the bowl buggy, I said, I said, I want you to make a mess. I said, miss the trailer. Mm-hmm. And he, what? I said, just make a mess. He picked up. I said, now kick your hydraulics on. I took the hose and just picked it up and blew it right back over into the buggy. Yeah. And I looked at the three guys I'd hired to pick up. Uh-huh. I sent them home. I said, so what I saved in payroll, uh-huh. in one year paid for what I did, yeah. but the best thing was what a lot of people don't realize or didn't at that time was the liability. Mm-hmm. You know, with the three guys walking around the machinery yeah, yeah, and sure. falling into stuff and yeah. so forth and so on. So back to how I got started, it was kind of necessity and necessity, and you walking up and saying, you know, I think I want to do this. And I said, no problem, we'll try. Mm-hmm. I'll try anything once, you know. So, but uh, uh, you, Did you give that piece of equipment a name? It's the cotton vac. It's the cotton vac. It's the cotton vac. I've, yeah. I've shipped them. From Virginia to California. Wow. And uh, <laughs> the funny thing is is every conversation, the common ground mm-hmm. is labor. Yeah. And you can go to Virginia and it's pretty much family. You can go to Missouri as family and you can go here as somebody else. But everybody, whether it's in-laws or outlaws, they're cussing labor. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. But uh, anyway, that's, that's. This gets it done. Yeah. How many years were you a co- uh, cotton farmer? Uh, I would say about 30 years. Okay. Yeah, about 30 years. And you actually managed uh, Choctaw Gin and Grain. Yeah, we. Uh, my brother and my best friend uh, actually bought the uh, gin and elevator from the guy I was talking about uh, that came to the field with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we grew uh, seed for Delton Pine Land, like Sure Grow Cotton. Uh, so, I mean, they liked us because we were a small gin. And then I wound up with it by myself, and, of course, then they could tell me whatever variety they wanted. Yeah. I mean, it was a dream come true for them. Yeah. You know, so, uh, but they were, I, I guess that was probably 14, 15 years. Now, give us some other examples. You've made a lot of custom equipment. Um, give us maybe just a, a, a two or three other examples of things you built to meet that necessity we've been talking about. Uh, <clears throat> well, I built a uh, liquid fertilizer applicator. Uh, at the time, you know, the ones that were built, well, they didn't pick up high enough. They, yeah. you know, you complain here, and then, yeah. and then the biggest problem I've had is the quality of what you buy. Mm-hmm. Is it's like uh, I've got one one guy, of course, he considers me competition, which I don't. But <laughs> he, you know, if if the engineer told him to put a a half inch plate. Mm-hmm. He's going to put a 3.8 because it's a little cheaper. Yeah. And if he tells me a half, I'm going to Mm three-quarter because I know it's going to be abused. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what, you know, the joke is everybody tells me, say, Dennis will never ask you to build us an airplane. Yeah. He's because it ain't getting (laughs) off the ground. You know, I said, well, but my thing is I don't want a parts business. Yeah, right. You know, once you buy it, and the the thing is, like Matthew was saying, it's got my name on it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have your name on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that. So everything, but 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 most people, it, it it. I mean, everybody knows it. I want them happy, and like I say, it's got my name on it. And my biggest fear when I, the very first time the Chamber of Commerce in Bob County invited me up, mm-hmm. and the guy asked me, he said, "Dennis, what's your fear?" I said, "My biggest fear is to be whether I'm at church or at a, a restaurant or a movie theater, and somebody see me." that has bought something mm-hmm. of mine 
Yeah. And say, there's a there goes that guy that built that piece of crap. <laughs> you know, I said, I said, you know, I I don't want, you know, I want I want it right. It goes you know? back to what you started with, what we all started That's with, it. Pride. pride, taking pride in our pride. work and doing it better than it needs to be. And 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 I know, I, I don't go to one trade show. Mm-hmm. And it's this the Mid South Farm and Gin in Memphis. Yeah. Well, I I mean I'm a nobody. I mean really, right. and. You go up there, and I'm sitting in there with 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 I'm talking national, international companies. Yeah. That uh, you got your big manufacturers from the Midwest to West Texas to whatever, you know, like it. And when I turn around, they're looking at my stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sitting there looking, and then and then they come to you and say, "If I can help you, call me." <laughs> you know, if you need something, call me. You yeah. know, like it. Right. And they look at it, and they they turn around, complimenting you yeah. on your quality. And, and heavy, you know, just yeah. work like that. Right. And uh, that's a good feeling. Well, I was up there one, the very first time I ever went, I went with a company, and they were the kind of people that as soon as you walk up, I call them used car sales. Right? The first thing they do, they push an invoice at you, yeah. you know, trying to sell you something. And like I've had people walk up, I don't know them or did know them. And I said, this is what we do. I said, you look at it. If I can help you, holler. Mm-hmm. You know, like it. And they say, I wish I'd seen you first. You know, I wish I'd done this. But I said, you know, the product ought to sell itself. Yeah, sure. And, and I mean, that's the end of it. That's the bottom line. That's right. Well, um, where what's your website? You have a website? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I don't have to ask my wife. No, okay. no, no. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, good. You're the short line. The, there it is. Right? Yeah, shortlinemfg.com. Shortlinemfg.com. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, there you go. Modern day blacksmith, and go check it out with heavy equipment over there. Yeah. And then, of course, at our website, they can find uh, you. And I want to. I just want to thank you for for what you're doing and for helping us get this program off the ground a year ago. It's grown since then, and we couldn't have done it without you. Well, I want to thank you, just like Matt yeah. and Brent. That that without you, there wouldn't be a program. Well, thank you. And, Glad to and do we it. need, as a man said, we need all the mouthpiece we can get. <laughs> I got yeah. one. Of, I got a mouth now. Yeah. I can I can get on a bullhorn. Get after. That's right. Well, I want to thank you all, uh, and I think that's about all the time we have for today. I genuinely appreciate everybody taking time to speak with us. Remember, you can find our podcast at GenuineMS.com forward slash podcast, and you can become a member at GenuineMS.com forward slash membership if you want to find out more about Ken Gross, Speedbox, or Shoreline Manufacturing. You can go to GenuineMS.com or to their website directly. And you'll find lots of other Mississippi-grown, raised, crafted, and made products there, too. Be sure to join us for our next Genuine Mississippi podcast when we'll be discussing the building block of life, milk, and how it does a body good with our Genuine Mississippi-raised dairy farmers. Join us for our next episode, Mississippi on the Move. We'll have Doug Popwell and Larry Martin from Tylertown. And Julie Ard with Ard's Dairy from Ruth, Mississippi, here with us. I want to thank you again for joining us. And as always, I'm Andy Gibson, and I am Genuine Mississippi. My name is Brent Brazier with Kingrow Corporation in Charleston, Mississippi, and I am Genuine Mississippi. Matthew Summers, Speedbox, and I am Genuine Mississippi. I am Dennis Short from Shortline Manufacturing, and I am genuine Mississippi.
This podcast is genuinely Mississippi grown, raised, crafted, and made by MWB Studios. 